Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, how great Thou art. You are a great and mighty God, Creator of all things. You created the heavens and earth. You created us, mankind, in Your image and likeness. Desiring to have a relationship with us, but Lord, we sinned. And we rebelled against Your authority, Your rule and Your reign. Lord, You would be completely right and just to condemn us for our rebellion. Yet, Lord, You spared not Your only Son so that we might have life in Him. You, Lord Jesus, stepped down from Your throne in glory and came to this earth. You dwelt upon, uh, among fallen men. You lived in complete obedience to the Father's will. Yet, You died bearing our guilt and our shame. Giving us eternal hope in You. Oh, how great Thou art! Lord God, we open Your Word today and see the glory of the Incarnation of Christ. Give us eyes to see. Open hearts to see the glory and the beauty, the majesty. Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, continuing our study in Philippians. Discovering joy, real, everlasting joy. Joy that's not found in the temporary things of this world, but the joy that is found in the eternal God. And in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today we are looking at that glorious doctrine of the incarnation of Christ as we consider rejoicing in the incarnation. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. This morning we continue our study here, and you remember from a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks back, Paul is telling us how to live worthy lives. Worthy lives. Lives worthy of our citizenship in heaven. Lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began that in chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we saw then last week how this is working its way out. How do we live worthily lives, worthy of our citizenship in heaven? Well, first of all, we have one mind. We live as a church, as one mind and one body, united, spiritually united together in Christ. And, and the way we accomplish that spiritual unity in the body of Christ is through humility, by humbling ourselves and considering others more significant. Then Paul, as he tells us that, as he tells us how to, to keep spiritual unity, he then goes on to point our attention to the great example of humility. How do you accomplish spiritual unity? How do you humble yourself? What does that kind of humility look like? Humbling yourself, making yourself little, making yourself low, and thinking of others more significant than yourselves. What does that look like? And Paul then gives us the superior example of humility, Jesus Christ our Lord. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who was like, right? This is the way Jesus did it. And so God is not calling us to something that He has not done Himself, but He Himself humbled Himself. He became nothing to serve us. And so we have this glorious example of humility 
and this central doctrine of the Christian faith. Because as Paul gives us this example, he shows us this central doctrine of the Christian faith, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's a big term, and if you haven't been raised in church, you may not know what incarnation means. Incarnation simply means in the flesh. We have in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God who comes in the flesh, takes on human flesh and becomes like one of us. What a glorious doctrine. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is a central doctrine to the Christian faith because without the incarnation of Christ, without God coming in human flesh to do the job that He came to do, there would be no Christian faith. There would be no Christianity whatsoever. In fact, there would be absolutely zero hope for us without this glorious doctrine. So today, we focus on this doctrine, the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. And we need to grasp the glory of this wonderful, life-transforming doctrine. So my goal for us today as we look at this glorious doctrine, is that you will rejoice in the incarnation of Christ, bowing the knee to His Lordship and humbly serving others to the glory of God. Let me say that again. My desire is for you to rejoice in the incarnation of Christ bowing the knee to His Lordship and humbly serving others to the glory of God the Father. So, as we begin then to look at this passage today, this passage on the incarnation, there's four truths that I want to point out about the incarnation, and then I'll finish up with a couple of uh, points of application there at the end. So, four truths about the incarnation of Christ. The first truth that we see here in our passage today is Christ Jesus is fully God. Christ Jesus is fully God. Where do we see this? Let's look at our passage starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now let's stop right there. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus is fully God. He is fully God in His essence. In His essence, in His nature, in His very being, He is God. That's what makes Him up is His godliness, His godness. He is in His very nature, His very essence, God. We see that clearly in this passage. 
as you look at that, who, though he was in the form of God. Now think about that word there, though he was, that phrase, though he was. In the Greek, that term there, though he was, is one term. Hoop, hoop, archon is the Greek word. Hoop, archon. And that word means to be or to exist in a state or a condition, often of states that are enduring as opposed to temporary. In other words, what Paul is saying there is though he was in the form of God, he is saying he was in his very being. What made him up what he was before time ever existed in all of eternity past, what he was, was God. That's what makes Jesus who he is. He is God. And it's not his being God, the essence of, of Godness that he possessed. It's, it's not something that, that was just passing. It was not something that was fleeting. It wasn't just something that, that he kind of took on for a little while. But, but it's enduring. It's lasting. It, it can never be taken away from him. He is God in his essence. In his very being. You see, we have characteristics that make us humans. We're not like dogs and cats and other animals. There's characteristics that, that they don't have, that we have, that makes us human. And there's things about Christ that we can never possess. No one and no thing possesses because He is unique. He is God at His very core. The core of His being, His essence, is God. And then, though He was in the form, that word form, morphe in the Greek, that is the nature or character of something both internal and external. So, not only was he was his very being god but his form so it's not just an outward form that he's talking about here morphe it's not just this outward appearance it's not like he just appeared to be like god no he was in his outwardly inwardly all of him was god jesus christ is god from the very beginning, even before the beginning, Jesus Christ was and is God in His very essence. Christ Jesus is fully God in His nature, in His essence, and He is fully God in His supremacy. In His supremacy, it continues on who though he was in the form of God, morphe of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
That word there, equality, again, it's a, a little phrase there in the Greek. And if we were to translate the phrase uh, uh, just straight over, it, it would read, he did not count the being equal with God. Right? We kind of smooth it up in the English translation to be counted equality, but, but literally it would read the being. Again, that, that sense of his nature, his essence, who he was, who he is, the being equal with God. You see, Paul is pointing out here that he is equal with God. He is equal with God in all of His attributes and in all of His supremacy. The, the word therefore equal means have the same quality or the value as another. So Paul tells us here not only is He God in His very essence of who He is, that's who He is, but He's also saying in His supremacy. There's no one other than God. There's no one worthy of praise and glory other than God. We have in Scripture says, Lord, you are God. There are none other like you. And that's the same of, that's being said of Jesus. He is God, both in his essence and in his supremacy. And there are no others. He's of the same value, the same worth. He has the same glory as God because He is God. Jesus Christ is God. Now this goes contrary to every other religion in the world. Mormonism The uh, Jehovah's Witness, they say that Jesus is a God, right? He's like God in, in some way. He's a God, just like Lucifer and angels are kind of a God created by God. That's what the other religions would say. Islam says he's just a good prophet. Christianity says, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is God. At the core of His being, He is God. He is God in essence, and He is God in supremacy. Jesus Christ is fully God. Second truth on the doctrine of the incarnation that we see here. Not only is Jesus Christ fully God, but second we see Christ Jesus became fully man. Christ Jesus became fully man. How did He become fully man? He became fully man by first of all, divesting Himself of His glory. By divesting His glory. Again, continue on there. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now I want to pause here at that word grasped again. 
that word grasped, it means to, to cling onto, to clench tight onto something, uh, kind of out of a fear that you might lose it. So, so think about this. You have a little toddler, and she's in mama's arms. And someone comes up, oh, look at the little baby. Oh, come here and let me see you. And that little toddler, that little girl, she grabs on tight to her mama's clothing and clenches her mama's clothing. You have to pry her hands away from her mama because she's afraid she might lose her mama. And see, that's that kind of clasping down that Paul is talking about there. And he says, Jesus Christ, (laughs) He did not count equality with God a thing to be clung on to as if though He might lose it somehow. But instead, what Jesus does, instead of clamping down on His divinity, on who He was, His supremacy, He emptied Himself. Now, what does it mean that he emptied himself? There's a lot of talk in theological circles about what this means, that he emptied himself. The Greek word there is, is kanao, which is a term we get in, in theology called kenosis. We talk about a lot in theology. And, and many people would say, there are some that, at least that would say that when it talks about Jesus emptying Himself, He emptied Himself of His divinity. False. He did not empty Himself of His divinity. If He emptied Himself of His divinity, He would not exist. Right? Because we've already said He was God. That's what makes up the very nature of His existence. He is at His core God. He cannot just empty Himself of what makes Him who He is. So He didn't empty Himself of His of His divinity. What does He empty Himself of? He empties Himself of His glory. Of His Shekinah glory. Again, let's look at that word there. He emptied Himself. Kanao. That word in this case means to completely remove or eliminate Elements of high status or rank by eliminating all privileges or prerogatives associated with such status or rank. He emptied Himself of His glory. He emptied Himself of the the privileges, of the prerogatives that were due Him because of His divinity. He set aside His glory. He existed in all of eternity past as God, supreme, radiating the glory of God. When you look in Scripture and see any image of God, you see the radiance of His glory, His shining glory bursting out. And Jesus set aside the radiance of His glory. 
He set aside all the privileges that were due Him because of His divinity. Because of who He is as Creator God. He set all of that aside. He took on the fashion of a man. Look down there in verse 8. And being found in human form. Now, in this passage, there are four forms, right? Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Look at that last form, being found in human form. You don't catch this in the English, but that third use of form there it is a different word in the Greek text. All right, the other two are morphe or morphos that we've already looked at. But in this last one, by taking the form, that word there is, is uh, schema, from which we get our English word scheme. It could be translated fashion instead of form. And so where, where Morphe was that, the very inner being of Him, both inwardly and outwardly, He was in the Morphe of God. Now He takes on the human schema, the schema of man, the fashion of man. He sets aside the radiance of His glory and He takes on the fashion of an ordinary, average man. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2 says, He was in the form, or excuse me, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. He set aside the radiance of His glory. So that as Jesus walked this earth, people didn't look at Him and say, man, there's something special about Him. Oh, look how He radiates. But they saw no majesty in Him. Because He wore the fashion of mankind. Suppressing the glory that was within. Now we see glimpses of it in Scripture, don't we? And Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration there for a moment. There for the moment, the, the morphe of God, of divinity, begins to burst out of the human flesh of Jesus. And G Peter, James, and John, they catch a glimpse of His glory and His majesty. But then it's hidden away. Christ sets aside His glory, taking on the likeness of man. 
He divests Himself of His glory. He sets aside all of His privileges and His prerogatives of divinity. He sets aside His omnipotence, His all-powerfulness to become like us having to feed ourselves food day in and day out to, to continue going. Needing sleep and rest to continue on. He set aside His omniscience, His all-knowingness. Only knowing what the Father allowed Him to know. He set aside the radiance of His glory to become like man. Jesus Christ became fully man by divesting Himself of His glory and second, by taking on the essence of man. By taking the essence of man. Again, you had that second word for form there, morphe. Again, it's saying he by taking the form. So Jesus, he just didn't just kind of wear this suit of humanity and then strip the suit off. No, he he really took on the essence, the nature of man. He truly did become like one of us. He took on the form, but but notice what it says there. By taking, by taking, by taking the form. He was in the form of God. That's who He was. By His very nature, the nature of His being, He was in the form of God. But now He takes the morphe. He receives it. This is not who He was before. Now He receives it. God steps down out of heaven and He takes the form of man. He becomes one of us. He experiences life like one of us. He has pains and sorrows like we have pains and sorrows. He suffered illness just like we suffer illness. He suffered loss just as we suffer loss. God just didn't come down and pretend to be a man. God came down and became a man. Taking on our essence. Becoming like one of us. Living life just as we live life. This is what so many find so foolish about the Gospel. How can you say that God would belittle Himself to the point that He would become a man? That's just stupid. That's what the world thinks. How could you think of that? How could someone so great as God come down and make Himself as nothing, as a worm, like a man? 
that's exactly what he did. He came down and he took on human flesh so that he might know us, save us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Folly is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christ Jesus, the glory of the doctrine of the incarnation, Christ Jesus, He is fully God. And Christ Jesus became fully man. Third, Christ Jesus died in our place. Why did He become a man? Because we needed to be saved. We needed to be saved. And so He came to die in our place. Again, look, go back to the text. Being born, verse... Uh, We'll just start at verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ Jesus died in our place. He became humbly obedient. Christ Jesus became humbly obedient. He was obedient to the Father. He, he brought Himself down to the human level. He took on human flesh. And He put Himself as a servant to the law. And as a servant to the will of God the Father. He put Himself in our place. He put Himself in the place of our forefather, Adam. And where Adam failed, where Adam built himself up in pride and rebelled against God, where we build ourselves up in our arrogance and in our, our selfish ambition and, and rebel against God, Christ Jesus came and He humbled Himself. He became obedient. Completely obedient. He never failed in one thing. He was completely obedient to the law of God. He was completely obedient to the will of God. In every way, He was obedient. He became humbly obedient. He became a humble servant. He calls us to be. He became a humble servant. God the Father, the law of God. And though He was without sin, though He never rebelled, He became a curse for us. He became a curse for us. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. We might lose the significance of that in our day. 
We don't see people dying on crosses. But that's significant to those who are reading this letter from Paul. That was very real to them. Because a death on a cross was a, a horrendous death. A terrible death. A long-suffering death. And it was reserved for the most heinous of criminals. No one dies upon a cross but those who are under the curse. Christ came and He became a curse for us. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Quoting from Deuteronomy 21-23, on Calvary's cross, Christ received upon Himself the curse due us. He died in our place. We deserve to be cursed. We deserve to be condemned because of our rebellion against God. Yet God stepped down out of glory. He took on human flesh. He lived in complete obedience to the law. And yet, He went to the cross willingly. Willingly. He died the death of a cursed man. Receiving on Himself our condemnation for our sin and our rebellion. He took our place. He didn't just simply die to give us an example. He died in our place. We deserved it. He didn't. Yet He took it. That's what we deserved. But he took it. He received it so that we might be reconciled to God. Unless He dies on the cross, we are lost. Unless He dies on the cross, we are forever condemned before God. But Christ dies to redeem us from our sin and our rebellion so that we might have life with God. Praise Jesus. He died in our place. Let me say this morning, if you are here today and you don't know that Christ Jesus died in your place, He died in your place. Without Him, you are forever condemned to hell before God. But if you trust in Him today, you can have life everlasting. Christ Jesus is fully God. He became fully man, the full God-man. 
Christ Jesus then died on the cross in our place in the fourth and final truth of the incarnation. Christ Jesus has been exalted as Lord. He has been exalted as Lord. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ Jesus has been exalted to a supreme position. He has been exalted to a supreme position. First, we see here that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is no longer in the grave, but He has been raised up. And not only has been raised from the dead, He has been exalted. He has been seated, seated upon a throne, the throne that is above every other throne. Christ Jesus is Lord of all. He is God and King of His people. He is exalted to supreme position and He has been vindicated as Lord. He is vindicated as Lord. He has been given the name. What in the world is that name? That name is the name Lord. He has given Him a name that is above every name so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that, namely that, Jesus Christ is Lord. He has been given the name of Lord. Now, we need to understand the significance of that. That word Lord is the word kurios in the Greek. But when you think back to the Old Testament time, let me explain this real quickly as I can anyway. In the Old Testament time, as the, the Hebrew scholars, as, as the teachers of the Old Testament era, when they would read the, the Hebrew script, the Hebrew Old Testament, every time that they would come to the, the, the proper name for God, instead of saying the proper name for God, which... We kind of transliterate in our day as Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of that. Well, when they would come to that name Yahweh in the Old Testament script, instead of saying Yahweh because they, they feared taking the name of the Lord in vain, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which was the Hebrew word for Lord. We still observe that same kind of reverence for God's name even in our Bible today when you read the Old Testament every time that you see Lord spelled in all caps the Hebrew behind that word is the proper name of God and so we say it in our English translations most of them anyway we use all caps Lord so when the Old Testament then was translated from the Hebrew over into the Greek, they kept that same kind of mentality going. And so every time that they came upon the, the proper name of God in the Old Testament Hebrew, they would translate it over into the Greek as kurios, Lord. And so we see when the New Testament's writers writing in Greek 
when they talk about Jesus as Lord, I believe they're not just saying that He's just some everyday, ordinary Lord, but He is Lord. He is Yahweh, God in the flesh. See, you read the Old Testament, or you read the, the Gospels and, and the people the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the priests of His day, they got it when Jesus called Himself Lord. <laughs> That's why they wanted to kill Him. That's why they ended up sending Him to the cross because they, they condemned Him as a blasphemer. He made Himself equal to God. And here Paul says, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He was condemned as a blasphemer, yet God declares Him, vindicates Him, and says He is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Christ Jesus died in our place and He has been exalted to a supreme position and vindicated as Lord God of all. What a glorious doctrine. Christ, God in human flesh, died in our place, raised again for the glory of God the Father. A couple of words of application. First of all, if you are here today and you are living in rebellion against God, you don't trust in Jesus. You're, you're living life your own way. You're doing your own thing. You are rebelling against God. And the end of your rebellion is everlasting judgment, everlasting condemnation before a holy God. Yet today, I plead with you, bow the knee and surrender and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Bow your knee today and surrender and confess Christ as Lord. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. There's coming a day where every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that is looking to the final day when Christ returns in judgment. And all the dead will be raised from the dead. And all will stand before Christ and all of those who reject Him and rebel against Him in this life, they will not bow the knee and surrender, but they will bow the knee in submission to His divine judgment. 
Today is the day of salvation. Will you bow the knee and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ? For the church, for the church, the application here for the church, of course, goes back to the very beginning. Let, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What Paul wants us to see here, what he wants us to know, is that we are to have the attitude of Christ, the attitude of humble service. You think you're too big to humble yourself and serve others? Christ didn't. And He is our great example. Humble yourself. Church family, as we serve together, let us serve with humble hearts. Serving one another in humble service with one another. Today, rejoice in the incarnation of Christ, bowing the knee to His Lordship and humbly serving others to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, Lord, what a glorious, glorious doctrine. Oh Lord, let us know this. Let us let this sink into our hearts. Let us feel this. Let us let it transform our inner being, Lord, as we contemplate the humility of Jesus Christ as he came and took on human flesh. All that He might serve us, dying on the cross for our sins, bringing us back into a relationship with God the Father. Oh Lord, let us rejoice in the incarnation. And let our lives forever be changed by it. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.